Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on Marketing. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of the newly released book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. And you can find more information on this at marketingmachine.prorelevant.com. Today, we're going to find out about the challenges of managing a brand to drive better barbecue. And so what could be better than that as we get ready for the summer? And I'm definitely looking at buying one of these uh, barbecues from uh, Michael Bragg, who's my uh, interviewee today from uh, RecTech based here in Georgia. So we are talking with Michael Bragg. He is the performance manager for RecTech and they are a Georgia-based wood pellet grill manufacturer. So with that, uh, Michael, welcome. So glad to have you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for being here. So tell us your backstory on how you got into marketing. Oh, it's fun. So, you know, I, I've always envied, I guess, folks who have like, you know, like my wife, for example, like knew she wanted to be a speech language pathologist when she was 10 or, you know, a person who had a dad who was an accountant. It's like, I want to be an accountant. I did not have that story. Uh, like probably like most college kids, I was scrolling around majors and trying to figure out and, and testing on what was what what sounded cool and 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 you know in between going to different fun parties at the University of Georgia. But actually, the way I fell into marketing was um, you know didn't know what I wanted to do as a major, and I went through the, the actual full bulletin at the University of Georgia to see all of the majors from entomology to turf management to business. And I saw public relations and I was like, that sounds cool. And so I, apl I applied for it. Um, so somewhat incidental in, in kind of getting my foot in the door, which is under the advertising and public relations department of Grady College at UGA. Um, but, you know, that kind of started my journey. I went head kind of head first into the whole program um, and really sort of liked it. And it's kind of funny. I was on the public. I had a public relations degree. I was in the public relations student society of, of uh, you know, at Georgia. So shout out to them. And I was the PR director for the PRSSA Student uh, Association. Then as soon as I graduated, I wanted to go to advertising, which I should have hoped, oh, I should have just changed that major earlier on. But um, Dennis, done a few stints at a few agencies. So I actually interned at 22 Square, which is in Midtown here up in Atlanta. And then I popped over to a smaller agency out of the Atlanta Tech Village, it's fairly, fairly startup-y, um, primarily focused on the account management side. I actually switched over to media after kind of putting on, uh, you know, my sort of do-it-yourself hat and learning Google ads um, because in our small six-person agency, one of our clients asked us, hey, uh, can, can y'all run paid search? And like most agencies, we said yes without knowing the resources behind it. Um, so uh, I, you know, took the venture, put it on me to learn all these different things and ran my first, I think it was like a few hundred dollar paid search campaign. And that kind of blossomed into, um, you know, a media buying, planning and buying career. So a few, you know, a few agencies have been actually was on the brand side for a hot second before actually eventually going to rec tech. But, um, you know, got probably a lot of my paid search experience at a place called Performix. It's owned by Publicis Group, um, the sort of performance marketing arm of them working on brands like Quilted Northern, Dixie under the Georgia Pacific profile, um, or a Coover Dirt Devil in the vacuum space. But got an incredible opportunity 
um, after being at performance for about a year and a half or so to come over to a smaller mid-sized agency called Vert, V-E-R-T. So Vert is actually out of uh, morning, the Morningside Atlanta in Atlanta, in, in Atlanta, Georgia. I know probably not everybody is in Atlanta, but it's kind of the central part of Atlanta. Um, so smaller boutique agency that has a lot of different capabilities. Um, media was the biggest department, but they didn't really have a person who was kind of leading the whole paid search expertise to be that subject matter expert there. So popped over to Vert um, and worked on probably 30 or 40 clients, you know, spanning the multi-locational restaurant um, side of things, CPG, e-commerce, insurance. Um, I even worked for a the sort of LinkedIn for dentists um, and dental hygienists, which was really interesting. So um, yeah, I mean, I got to work on a lot of different brands over there. And of course, you know, utilizing my primary, uh, my, my primary field, which is more on the um, paid search side, but also got to touch paid social programmatic. Um, I got even to do some podcast buys. Um, since it was really fun, since it was a smaller midsize agency, you really didn't get siloed in a specific channel. You got to do a lot of different things, you know, as well as working alongside email and email and CRM folks, brand strategy folks and like. So, um, you know, I was, I was at Vert for actually three and a half years. Um, loved that place. Um, got to work on a lot of fun clients. Got to actually work on my alma mater at University of Georgia, their alumni association. So, um, and cool brands like Honda Power Equipment working on their you know, lawnmower side, but also their outboard engine side of things. Um, First Watch, which is a, you know, a brunch chain that started out of uh, Florida. And at one point was like one of the mm -hmm. fastest growing casual dining restaurants in the nation. Um, so, you know, that's my backstory has just been kind of a survey across a bunch of different industries and sectors. Um, I focused on the paid media side. So, you know, I, I have been a down and dirty, you know, on the keyboards, running Google ads campaigns for small clients, and then planning bigger, much broader campaigns for higher, higher clients and really focusing on the media side. I guess when my dad asked, asked me like what I do, you know, what I tell him is when a business comes to me with their marketing budget, I tell them how to spend it, right. And how to optimize it. And can, you know, I, I control the purse per se, a lot of times on where you should put your dollars and why you should put your dollars there. So, um, so, you know, like I said, I was at uh, Vert for about three and a half years, um, and I always knew I wanted to go brand side. Sorry, agency folks. Um, I always wanted to be focused on one um, particular brand, and that one particular brand I had never actually heard of. Um, and so I got a, you know, an inquiry for a brand called Rectech, um, you know, a small pellet grill manufacturer out of Augusta, Georgia. Um, and they needed a person to handle kind of in-house all of their paid social and paid search. So um, it, I, I bid a really sad farewell to the agency life and jumped to the brand side um, and started in June of 21. Um, so I've been at RecTech for about a year, a little over a year and a half now. Um, and you know, kind of came over here, immediately took over paid search, grabbed up paid social, um, and then expanded to the programmatic side of things. And it's really grown from there. Um, you know, I've, I handle all things Amazon now. Um, I'm working with ops, finance, um, our, you know, IT e-commerce team to set up our website. So um, it's really been, if the agency side was the breadth of my career, this has really been the depth of my career. Um, and super, super exciting about that. And I know that 
we'll kind of talk about some, uh, you know, words of advice uh, that relate mm -hmm. a lot to that. I've kind of gotten both sides of the table per se. And so, but yeah, I mean, that's my backstory and, you know, love rec tech and, um, you know, I'm excited to keep driving this, this challenger brand forward. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thank you for that. And, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, so you must have moved uh, post COVID. Did you move virtually or did yes. you move in person or how did that work? Uh, I moved in person. So um, obviously the COVID outbreak really changed a lot of things, really shocking, right? To everybody. And, and we've all heard that. Um, so I moved, our, our agency was, you know, primarily, uh, you know, remote at the time, mostly, most of the folks in the agent, most of the folks in the Atlanta area, but um, with rec tech, um, we're kind of transient as well. We had an, we had a smaller office um, that, you know, we can, we can come in remote. You can come in in person if you want. I actually preferred kind of the in-person side. Maybe I'm a little bit more heterodox on that side of things, but um, you know, we have a really small office, but you know, that small office got too cramped and we're in a bigger office now um, up in Sandy Springs, Georgia. So um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was somewhat of a, of a COVID, a COVID move at the time. Um, you know, I know that that was a, a big time for a lot of people to be making, making some changes in their yeah. life. And, um, you know, I had a, uh, I had Reese at a, a fresh baby boy, um, a new house <laughs> and I decided, decided to just round out the trilogy with a new job as well. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. That's a lot of, that's a lot of stress, but also I guess a lot of fun, and especially, <laughs> yeah. obviously you must be a lot of things must be going well if you're taking over more and more pieces of the paid marketing uh, uh, channel. So, so now that we're kind of out of post COVID and now moving into the, I don't know, the new normal. So what kind of interesting opportunities are there that you see in brands growing their, their paid marketing in, uh, in this new environment? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because there's also a lot of pressures and challenges with it. You know, but I guess, you know, some opportunities that we've seen on the 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 rec tech side, or I guess particularly on my side, is like we're a fairly scrappy team, you know, and there's not a lot of things that I can, you know, I can't pull, and this is more of a paid search dorky thing, but I can't pull search term reports all the time. You know, I can't be like changing ads all the time on the paid social side. So um, I know automation is a word that, that's thrown out a lot, but you know, what that means tactically is leaning into specific tactics under certain plat under certain partners that automate a lot of the task, like, you know, minor mid minor, uh, you know, bid optimizations or creative optimizations that I've, we've leaned into a lot, you know, particularly as an e-commerce brand and we've led in, we've, we've, uh, you know, relied on a lot of product feed focused ads, which allow us to basically spread our entire product product catalog without having to make all of the tiny little, you know, add fingers for all of that. So that those are, I guess, more specific examples to ladder up to the big word automation side of things. Um, you know, other opportunities is just getting plugged into and connected to the latest, you know, technologies that your main partners have, you know, I'm sure a lot of people's budgets are still Google and Facebook, just like ours, or excuse me, meta as they want to be called. So <laughs> leaning into stuff like Google's enhanced conversions, Facebook's, uh, I think it's conversions API in order to, you know, try to bridge the gap with this cookie loss for the attribution side of things. Um, you know, some other opportunities as well that we're trying to reinvent is like, if first party is becoming a lot more important, of course, you need to develop better strategies to acquire and sort of enrich that first party data as well. So 
whether that's you know looking into your first CDP or CRM. We aren't quite to the CDP space just yet, although um, you know I'm I'm advocating for that to like I said acquire you know develop the right incentives to acquire good. Um, compliant and transparent first-party data. So people know that this is what you're doing, offering some sort of a value exchange there. And, and again, being privacy compliant and enriching it too. I mean, one thing, one exercise that we've gone through is, is segmenting the entire the, the entire barbecue grilling audience, right? Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to do is make sure amongst all of our current customers and prospective customers that, you know, we can categorize them in such a way, you know, without being, you know, I guess, too assumptive about it, categorize them in such a way so we can market to them effectively. And again, like I said, in a, in a privacy compliant and transparent way, um, mm-hmm. you know, I would say a big opportunity for brands is like the TV space, specifically on the CTV side is pretty easy to get into. Even if, you know, I think for a while, and especially when we were on the smaller agency side a few years ago, it's like, oof, TV is like sort of cost prohibitive. It's maybe creative prohibitive, you know, um, and not to mention just like from a planning perspective, it was really tough, but the CTV space, especially with some partners, like making them like a Google ads, like experience platform has made it very easy to go into that space. And so like, I definitely see that as a, a bigger opportunity for, you know, smaller mid-sized brands um, to get in the TV space before they thought they could maybe get into there. Um, you know, I'm trying to think a few other ones, but obviously a big, it's not necessarily an opportunity as much as it is a sort of mandatory thing is if you haven't really started testing non-third-party cookie-reliant targeting techniques, or not techniques, but um, targeting strategies like contextual or custom whitelist, do it now. Um, I know, you know, as a performance marker, a lot of times it's like if, if A performs better than B, then we strike B. And we know that sometimes some of these these non-third-party cookie-reliant audience don't perform as well sometimes, but that's just we have to kind of progress forward because mm. that's going to be completely gone away once um, Chrome finally does away with the cookie or I don't know when they keep, when they keep pushing it back another year and another year and another year, but you know, you really, but you know, I know we've talked to the partners that like reclaim, for example, it's like, even if, even if we're in kind of a stasis right now with not many changes, there's a lot of, you know, uh, legislation being put forth state by state that might change your, um, you know, idea of, of what you know to test right now i think a lot of people would just be like well just wait until chrome you know finally deprecates it but that's probably not the right thing to do you need to start getting ready for you know the final change because you know chrome we say i think is 60 percent of the browsing but it might be only 30 percent of your customers that are browsing from chrome I, mm. I, that was something that was kind of eye-opening to me when we figured that out so but yeah i mean a lot of interesting opportunities that are um they're just new but also that are, I don't want to say kind of forced at the same time too, that you need to start, um, you know, getting more comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen even with some of our clients that uh, paid digital has already started to uh, suffer in terms of its uh, ROI oh, yeah. and effectiveness. And, um, and so it is kind of fascinating. Do you see that also impacting paid social? Or uh, is it just uh, going to impact paid digital? Or is it really across the... Uh, across the digital spectrum? I think, I mean, it's across the board. I mean, social, I think a lot of times, like we're, I'm going to focus primarily on Facebook, Instagram, Meta. It's a lot of paid social. It's not all of them. I mean, TikTok's starting to, you know, grow at a faster pace, of course. But, um, you know, it's definitely impacting them. Although the conversion sort of 
modeling, uh, the way that they set up to attribute ones, I, in my opinion, a lot of times can be quite deceptive, you know, like modeled conversions, what they think they actually mm-hmm. drove into the average to the average Joe who's maybe running their first paid social campaign, they're not going to understand the differences between that. And they're going to see a 14 act ROAS and probably put all of their chips in one basket. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's affecting, it's affecting all channels, but there's kind of some uniqueness amongst partners where sometimes it, re- it requires a little bit more nuance to understand the actual numbers behind it. And, you know, one pressure that I get a lot of times is, Hey, look, ROAS, or excuse me, Facebook's ROAS is amazing. Why aren't we putting more money into that? Well, there's there's a lot of caveats and a lot a lot of caveats to add to that, um, and a lot of grain of salt type uh, decisions that need to be made um, that are just really tough to explain really quickly to a non-marketer, right? Um, think of a boardroom. Think you know this the questions that I get from my CEO from my person who's a director of operations who sees the reporting that I put forth. And it's like, well, why aren't we doing this? Um, I think it's because people are still operating under the assumption that paid digital was just so easy to put a dollar in and, and, and quant get a, a very quantifiable four or five, $6 out. But really that four or five or $6 out is, is not, the picture is a lot more opaque <laughs> than it was maybe just a few years ago. And, and that's, that's really, that's, that's a huge challenge for me. Um, you know, we're, we're owned by a private equity firm. And so, you know, I can't give them long convoluted answers with a lot of caveats and asterisks. <laughs> you know, I have to give them the no BS answer. And sometimes those no BS answers have a lot of context behind them that I just simply don't have enough time to explain. Um, and that's got to be very frustrating from an investment standpoint, especially if you're the one you maybe you have a personal stake in it yeah absolutely and um you know and especially when the outside investor is basically investing probably primarily in growth and growth comes through marketing and and sales depending upon if you have a sales team but you know it's going to come through marketing and so then that money they want to be able to justify it if they're going to put in a million or ten or a hundred million dollars into into that business they want to see well what was the roi on that because i might want to give you another hundred or i might want to do something else with the business but uh you know i want to see that that money is actually absolutely delivering a a very strong and and positive roi absolutely yeah yeah now does uh just curious do you split the media that you're doing between let's say brand building versus performance marketing or are you right now strictly focused on performance so um no actually this year we've done a much better job you know this has been a push by me really in in the company and then amongst others to split out those dollars effectively because i think for the longest time it was all performance marketing dollars, like, and they kind of mm-hmm. viewed every dollar spent as a performance marketing dollar, whether it was a sponsoring event, an event or doing like maybe a CTV ad, which was probably not the best model to look at. But now, you know, moving forward, we have performance marketing dollars and we have brand investment dollars. Um, and I always like to sort of re- reframe the conversation in this is like the performance marketing dollars is demand right now and brand investment is future demand. Right. To think about that, like and and not just necessarily future demand, but establishing a brand image, having be- more, better awareness. I mean, 
we are, you know, amongst the very crowded grilling and pellet grilling space, relatively smaller, unknown brand. And so there's a lot of brand awareness dollars that need to be invested in that. But it's tough because I can understand that brand investment dollars have a long, it's a long-term play. Um, and when you're, when you're talking about especially right now when things are a little bit challenged and we're kind of having some post-COVID blues with luxury goods. You want to invest the money that's going to have that immediate return. And to some extent, the performance marketing side is still that, although it's really tough. It's getting tougher to measure that immediate impact. But yeah, I mean, we are splitting that up between that performance marketing dollars and brand investment dollars. And I think finally, we're developing that discipline to say, not have those questions like, after doing a brand investment, so like, what are the sales? What are the sales? We're trying to train that discipline to say like, no, 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 no. We're, we're measuring this up. The KPIs for this are much different from this side of the house of things. So, um, and it's really exciting because like I said, we're still a relatively unknown brand. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done on this. I mean, we think that this is fairly good and established. And this is just a flywheel that we need to get in a way that's going to continue to capture demand fish in the ponds where we're going to be pulling a lot more fish out, take a bigger, take bigger slices of the pie as the pie gets bigger. Um, but then on the brand investment side, just becoming known at the point of, at the point of consideration amongst these folks. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I kind of liken it to, I like your, your, you know, the flywheel kind of a, a analogy because I, I liken the brand piece as making the flywheel bigger. Uh, not yeah. necessarily to move faster, but because it gets bigger, then that means you're also capturing more, uh, more fish in the pond. So uh, absolutely, I think that that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. um, you mentioned that the cookies are going away. Um, I think people would kind of call them a, a trusted identifier. So what do you yeah. see as uh, what do you see the marketing and advertising industry doing as that happens and uh, and and this cookie less future and the trusted identifier now has to either change more or, or just be ignored. Yeah. I mean, trusted identifier, right? Like I think there are ways I feel like that technology stacks are trying to get around it, like device idea or all this stuff, but like, you know, maybe we just need to rely a little bit more on first party that's given after good consent. Right. Um, and, and very clear consent, like, the email side of things, you know, I, I think it, that's still a golden piece of first party data that if you, if you can acquire that in a, you know, sort of value-based way, offer some sort of incentive for a person to give some of, some of their data, like an email, like a phone number. I've kind of, I've, I'm kind of back and forth of which one is, is, is maybe the best trusted identifier. That is one that like, A, for sure, you know, that it has been given with consent or with full consent. Um, or, and if it, if you, if you have some questions that run over that, right. And make sure that it is very, very clear, you know, what you're doing with that person's first party data. So a, you know, you're giving what consent and B, you know, it, it, it taps into pretty, a pretty easy, you know, marketing channel, which is, you know, I don't primarily work on the email side, but once you have a person's email and email has really mm -hmm. great ROI there. So that you have kind of consent built in with that. But then also you immediately can tap into a marketing channel that's going to hit them in a way, you know, that's, you know, it cost me to spend more. It costs me to activate another channel or activate another campaign and audience doesn't it, it's just opportunity cost or a person to send another email or, or create a more or create a, or create a flow with different things. You know, I, I kind of would be remiss if I didn't mention kind of the, the phone number as well. Um, you know, as a sort of trusted event, again, you know, consent, if you can get that 
set things. And I think I personally am a little bit more hesitant about giving my phone number. So I definitely want to know exactly why it needs to be done. But, you know, some good one brand that I saw the other day, I mean, I think it was a brilliant way to capture first party data um, was, you know, it, I had the normal pop up like, hey, 10% off for the email. I put in my email and then immediately the next prompt was like, we'll give you another 5% if you give us your phone number. And this is what we're going to send you for your phone number. And I thought that was brilliant um, because that it, it got, it got me in with a sum incentive. And then it had, like I said, acquired it. And then it enriched, enriched that first party data about myself a good bit more. Um, because I know when you start to, as a paid media person, I'm using our first party data and activating it with Google, with Facebook, with my programmatic partners, um, you know, the more data, the better, right? Um, you know, sometimes just email doesn't cut it um, when you're, you know, trying to match customer lists to other partners. Um, sometimes you need a little bit more information in order to have the match rates be a good bit higher. So Google and Facebook are pretty dang good at that. Um, I know that there's other tools. I, I know we, we, you mentioned the live ramp ID. I've definitely been thinking, I've, I've definitely been thinking about that. Um, it's maybe a a little bit too, it, it's 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 pretty high cost. And then the match rate is yep. a little bit tougher. Right now. Yep. But I do think that over time, they'll get better and better and better. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it sucks because the, the third party cookie was good. But it, mm -hmm. and, you know, we're, we're hearing the voice of the, of the people right now mm -hmm. um, kind of demand a little bit more transparency um, in being advertised towards. So we must yield. This is not something that we can gravel yes. about and doing in such way because you're going to really i think we, there's definitely been countless research done um you know i was seeing it in google's like privacy summit it was like you know consumers that think that you know a brand has broken their trust right like they, they they're they're gone they're they're leaving them for for good so good luck trying to get those folks back <laughs> well you know it's interesting though if you think about um and maybe it, it does require a little bit of thought but you you have brand marketing on one side and uh, you know, to drive awareness and drive some brand consideration and, and, and brand relevance. And then on the other side, you have performance, which is more or less about how do I get these people to convert? And yeah. um, when you lose that cookie, then, you know, you've got to do a lot more on brand awareness. And maybe that brand awareness is defined as how many people are willing to give me their email and pay 10% for the email and another 5% for the phone. Um, yeah. And then that kind of rounds out your, uh, you know, your, your picture, uh, because then there's still going to be people that you're going to have brand awareness with, let's say, uh, that won't give you their email. And then so how do you capture them in their buying process uh, so that when they're ready to buy uh, a new grill or a replacement grill or whatever it happens to be, that they're now going to consider Rectech versus something else? Yeah, I mean, like you are right and i think it's something we're realizing right now as a 2023 is like we didn't we didn't spend enough like on the brand investment dollar side of things so we're really trying to put our money where our mouth is to make a more memorable experience because there's just a host of different you know uh you know messages i think it's like kind of cliche you know break through the clutter or like scroll stopping creative but but it really is true i mean like there's just so many different messages and so many different formats that people get on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe it's just going back to the basics and, and making creative that is, it, maybe it was, maybe we were too focused on targeting and getting to the right people and focus too less on the actual creative being, 
relevant and impactful to those folks. So, you know, and this is me saying this as a performance marketer who probably over-focused on the targeting side of things without, you know, presenting the, you know, uh, without presenting an actual good message. So, and there's a lot of implications from that, from, I mean, I'm an e-commerce brand. So like what our website looks like, what the experience looks like. Um, so a lot of implications from that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's actually an interesting kind of a, uh, you know, a thought process to, as those cookies go away, is to kind of build out the map in terms of all of those different, uh, you know, pieces That's that cool. kind of go together and some of them uh, that don't. So then given that, um, uh, especially when you've got an outside investors in the company, so how do you set your marketing objectives and how do you then uh, measure against them to, term, to determine if you're meeting them? Ooh, well, I mean, I think one thing that I've learned is, you know, uh, folks in the boardroom don't really care about CTR, CPC, and, and, and some of these things. And that's not to say they're not important. But you have to make sure when you're developing those more micro metrics that it's all laddering up to a business goal and a business case for this. So, and, and you know, it, it's more challenging when the ROI is hard to prove a lot of times. So, you know, but I think understanding the segmentation between like, what is the broad business goal and then flowing down from there and make sure everything is connected. You know, we want 30% increase in email acquisition. We want a 30% increase in our email, email database because we've done the analysis and every new incremental email is X dollars and that flows up to this. So first having just everything ladder up and be perfectly organized. And sometimes that requires a good bit of work and some math, but um, when you prove out the business case, it makes it a much easier pitch to get that extra, those extra dollars mm. um, to go forward with it. So, and then another one, going back to the baseline, like, what is a smart goal? The the acronym, you know, specific, measurable, mm -hmm. achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Um, those things have just got to make sense a good bit more. So that's how we determine objectives. Is it laddering up to our bigger business goal? And does it fit under those parameters? Like, is it achievable? Does it make sense? So, you know, because that's how to prove out the business case, um, especially to executives who need to know the, the bottom line, right? Like, Michael, what does a 30, what is a 15% increase in CTR for our lookalike audiences? What does that mean for me? And um, when you can answer that question, it becomes a lot easier, like I said, to make the case for bigger, broader dollars. Um, um, so you can actually start to throw your weight around in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, so moving forward, looking out over the next couple of years, then uh, where do you see the the biggest opportunity for you? The biggest opportunity, I think, I think I mentioned, you know, reinvesting back in creative side of things, you know, particularly we've seen that video is a big driver for us. So, you know, we're, you know, definitely investing in the production quality and just mm. the quality of the mm. videos as itself. Now, now videos is that on the video side, it is, uh, it can be a little bit weightier than just getting a good clean picture. It requires a little bit more production on it, but I see that as a big opportunity. And like I said, that kind of ladders up to just having a better, better creative uh, strategy in the first place. Um, you know, I definitely think considering these challenging economic times, retention is probably better than acquisition mm -hmm. right now. Um, you know, we we probably over-focused on new customer acquisition, getting those new grills, which of course is the lion's share of our business. 
But, you know, we have accessories, we've got rubs and sauces, we've got a consumable associated um, with our with our grill, that being pellets as the fuel. So, mm. you know, there's a lot of things that we can do in order to beef up those sides of our portfolio that, you know, really en enriches that the lifetime value of our current customers. Um, I think what one opportunity is just if you haven't really developed your brand, develop your brand. What is the look, feel, and tone of different things? I'm, I'm saying these things as a performance marketer, right? This isn't my side of the house, but, <laughs> you know, I, I know that one of the biggest drivers of my performance is the creative itself um, and, and, and the actual brand itself, what it means. So, you know, if you're flying around here with a very, you know, like uh, sort of unestablished brand, it's, it's going to have a short shelf life over time. It might be, it might be the hot thing now, right. For people to buy, but long-term, like, what does it really mean for folks? Um, you know, I, I think I'm not going to say activated on it now. And, and is, is the chat GPT side of things. I think it's yeah, like, that I, was it's, coming one up. <laughs> I, it's one of those, I want to wait. I, I want to wait and see. I, I'm a wait and see type of guy. Like it reminds me of the whole voice search craze a few years ago. Not that that died out or anything, but everybody was just so like headstrong of like, we got to like start testing this right now as advertisers. And I just, I don't know if it's there yet. You know, like um, it, it I think we kind of maybe need to learn from others mistakes. And, and maybe if you are a very risky like brand, like go for it. If that is kind of worth your brand image, because I know that there has been some, factual related issues with chat G gpt um and at a certain point it does sound like an ai right and people those those subtle cues people can't pick up but it's an ai it's going to learn over time it's going to get much 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 better so i i i think it's an opportunity for let's just say aiding with content i think people want to skip to the end and say make my con make you know G chat gpt yeah, the yeah. freelance copywriter for them but I think I think it is good to use it, um, especially in the SEO and content side of things. So, you know, those are ones that I'm seeing. I'm trying to think, you know, of any others. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, big opportunity that we're tapping into is just developing that good recipe between external mm -hmm. um, resources, i.e. agencies, and in concert with in-house teams. Um, you know, I was an agency person myself. I think a lot of times I viewed, viewed brands as, everything was in-house or ever a lot, like most things were external, but there's good hybrid models and gaps that you can fill in that satisfies both sides of the house um, in a very, in a very good marriage say, but a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, then I like your point about, you know, in increasing the quality of the creative, uh, you know, I, we did a lot of work with uh, Affleck uh, a number of years ago and, no question that the the creative guy that came up with that duck just and, and took the risk to present it and and on the company side to take the risk and actually use it uh it put the company on the map there uh that that yeah. whole campaign just absolutely incredible so i you know there's no question in my mind that creative can really really make a brand and and uh, and it's not easy, and it's not, and unfortunately, it's not cheap. But you get that that creative right; it can really make a difference. So, um, uh, sorry about that. So anyway, the um, uh, uh, you know it's it's pretty critical as to you know how you use that uh, creative. Um, yeah. So you mentioned the Chat GPT. Uh, you know, I always uh, used to talk about uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence and 
And now I think ChatGPT is probably more so with, uh, you know, the generative AI. And it, I think it really is generating content that never existed before. And that I think is a little bit different than the traditional definitions of AI and machine learning, where it was more of a kind of a statistical problem that you're just kind of using a, a certain mathematical tool to generate something. Whereas I think this to generate a result as opposed to where chat GPT is actually kind of generating old new content. And I yeah. think really amazed at how good it is and also how, uh, how grammatically correct it is. Yes. Yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, it's going to get better over time too. Like, I mean, that's that I, I really think it is going to get better over time yeah. with it. It's just like, I, I see it as like, I'm like, Ooh, it seems risky, you know, to do it right now. But I think just using it as a, collaborative tool like i said i i i, I maybe think it, it is short-sighted to like immediately just be like this is our freelance copywriter now is this is this machine but you know obviously that it speaks to the power of it i think bing i think launched today with it in concert mm. with itself um you know obviously google you know for google to respond and make bard you know like this is this is a probably a huge thing but you know i often wonder i mean is it like is it the 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 NFTs of last year, like super big hype that maybe dies a little bit? But, but maybe I don't I don't I don't know. Um, I actually think it's probably gonna it's gonna stick around and get better and better and better. But I'm yeah, just saying right yeah. now, right now I'm watching from an from an arm's length to see how it goes. Well, and I guess the question is too is uh, how do advertisers take advantage of it? Is it just like you said, a freelance uh, yeah. content writer, or is there a way to actually you know plant your advertising in there? Uh, and, uh, and I, I don't think that it, ha it isn't obvious to me as to how that's, how that's going to work. Yeah. The, the, the immediate use cases to me go to SEO, right. And, you know, not to make SEOs, uh, quake in their boots, but you know, it's, it's, it's pretty dang good at, you know, helping you at least mine keywords, categorize keywords and actually create content around. It. It's pretty amazing. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it, it, it makes that. Um, side of the house, side of the marketing house, obsolete, but it definitely challenges a good bit. But you know, I, I do think it's maybe in concert with some human oversight with it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like I, I tried it out a little bit on you know trying to seed some keywords and different stuff, and it, it's pretty impressive what it can do. Um, you know, from a research piece, like almost instantaneous, mm -hmm. that might take we might take a few days or a few weeks for SEOs to do so. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe if you are a search engine optimi optimizer, right, you know, I, I would be a little bit scared about it. Um, but you know, that, that, that's, that's the most immediate use case that I, you know, kind of saw it as. Yeah. 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 Well, and, uh, you know, I've been thinking about it as well. Could you write a book, just have it write a book just to see, or write an article just to see what it does. Yeah. But that, but that still doesn't get you the, as an advertiser, doesn't get you necessarily any. I don't know, additional sales yet. So there's, I think there's another, you know, a time and kind of like to your point about waiting, there's still a little bit of time to go before advertisers can figure out a way to make money on that. No, absolutely. So um, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. So, yeah. So uh, uh, before we close, uh, uh, so what advice would you have for a young aspiring marketer to, uh, to grow their careers? Yeah. So, I mean, this is kind of the stuff that I've gathered and, I I try to keep it fairly simple, but there's just like a few things that I have learned myself, right? That hopefully is applicable to, you know, the younger folks out there. 
um, say thank you. This super, super, super easy thing. <laughs> don't burn bridges. Don't leave, don't leave a pile of bodies behind you on your way up the ladder. Just say thank you to folks. Always remember behind your talent was probably a supporter, educator, motivator of yours, either directly or indirectly in a way that you didn't realize. I feel like as I've gotten older, I've sort of like retroactively think back to the people who are influential to me that I did not appreciate them as much. So say, say number one, say thank you. Number two, say sorry. Um, say sorry, take, take, take ownership. You know, there was an impactful book that I read a few years ago called Extreme Ownership. It's written by a Navy SEAL. Um, it's a very interesting book about really taking ownership for when you mess up. And I think there's a lot to, of respect to be gained when you tell somebody, I'm sorry, I messed this up. Here's how I'm going to fix it. Um, you know, when I applied that, I, I was really scared to apply that in a work setting. Um, but when I did, I think there was a lot more respect and a lot more understanding. Um, when you can come forth and say, hey, this is my fault and this is how I'm going to correct it, a lot of people will understand you. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be maybe frustrated about the thing, but I think getting out ahead of something like that is important. Um, this is a this is a funny one. I, I always like to say, I like, I like to say, take out the trash. And what I mean by that is, I, I never want to look at a task, a project, and say that I'm above that project or tasks. There are many things that need to be done. Um, now, now, of course, as you progress, again, I'm, I'm speaking to a younger audience. It's like, take any opportunity. But as you progress, you need to learn how to delegate, of course. But, you know, make the coffee. You know, do the different things, right? Like, fill out the spreadsheets. Know your value, of course. But, you know, I always thought it's funny when I was looking for an internship, like almost every internship said, like, you won't be making coffee. Like, who cares? Make the coffee. Like, do those do those different things, which build that character for yourself. Um, number four, shut, I say, shut up and listen. I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory. Don't formulate what you're about to say to a person um, before they're done making their point. Like, it's just as simple as that. Um, don't wait to be told what to do. Um, this is a big one for people going into their first jobs is mm. I think, like, mm. and I understood this, like initiative comes at a, like a premium for folks, because I think a lot of people go into a job and are like, okay, I just wait to be told what to do. And to a certain extent, like you will have a task list, but sometimes like people like me, like, I don't necessarily have time to handhold you through everything. So ask me, ask me what you can do for me. Or just take the initiative and say, hey, you know, like I you need, I wanted to understand our competitors. Here's a presentation I put together of like what I'm understanding with our competitors. Or, you know, hey, I, I saw that this folder was a little messy. I organized it in such a way. So like, just don't wait on to be told what to do. A um, few last things. Understand a person's currency, as I like to say. So what's valuable to them? How can you help them? How do they communicate? What is their work love language, as I like to say? So like, what is their currency to them? Is it a bulleted email? Is it just a Slack communication or excuse me, like a Slack Teams message real quick? Is it is it a text to say, hey, you know, is there anything you need before for this meeting? Especially when you're working with folks, you know, that's your VP level, your boss, your manager, understand their pressures. What, what, what do they need from you in order to do their job well? Because I think somebody told me like, if you can make the person above you look good, like you'll, you'll do great. <laughs> you'll keep, you'll keep going up and people should um, understand that. And last one, this is simple. I didn't take a finance course when I was at the university of Georgia, learn business. Uh, if you're, if you're a marketing person, you're an advertising 
nerd right in college right now, take finance, take business, understand how a business works. Because, um, you know, you can, of course, learn that from the school of hard knocks, right from being in a brand or being in a smaller agency. But, you know, I think a lot of times, especially when I was in the agency world, I really didn't understand business. Like, I understand, I'm like, okay, X client, you know, they're a restaurant, right? This is how they make money. But like, not like things like EBITDA and their contribution margins and different mm -hmm. things. Like that helps you understand the different pressures cross departments. Um, you know, like one thing that I work with, I work closely with our finance department and, you know, with the team that develop, develops promo promotionals. And it's like, it sounds cool if we were to sell a grill with this, but from a financial perspective, we make negative money if we did that. You know, so, and that kind of stems from having some business savviness and some understanding of how just the finance of a company work. You don't have to have a finance degree, but at least have some rudimentary knowledge of how that operates. So that's my quick hitting, quick, quick hitting list that I hopefully well, that is a, yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic list and uh, definitely agree with all of those. I think you're right though. I think the, the, the last one, especially is understanding that what are the what is profit what is sales what's contribution margin just getting some of those things that are so critical to the business as a whole so that you can really see you know what's driving the business and what's driving the actions in the in the rest of the company yeah absolutely yeah so well michael uh to your first bullet is uh, just say thank you well thank you thank you thank you let me get you three times on that and uh, so glad we were able to set this up and uh, thank you so much for participating. So where would you like uh, viewers to go to learn more about uh, about uh, Rectech? Uh, so Rectech.com, R-E-C-T-E-Q.com. Um, uh, I think we say often replicated, but never do, or often duplicated, never replicated. But what, uh, what I mean by that is, you know, go check us out. You know, we definitely believe we have the best pellet grill, best grills on the market. Um, that are versatile, convenient, easy to use, and really up your game from a flavor perspective. Um, and, you know, if you get a little bit confused along the way, we have a customer service department right here in Georgia that'll do anything from make the my, most minor troubleshooting, uh, you know, issue to your girl all the way to recommend what brisket, how, how you should choose a brisket at Costco. So, um, so yeah, check us out at rectech.com you know, um, would love to. And, you know, if you have any questions, we are all brand representatives, whether you're finance, marketing or customer service person, and all of us grow on our rec tech every week. So we know a lot about it. So you know, reach out to us anytime. We're happy to, you know, get you into the rec tech family. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking forward to uh, my next girl being a rec tech. So I'm about to get ready awesome. for the summer. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Michael, thank you so much. And otherwise, for my viewers, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series of the backstory on marketing. And please visit marketingmachine.prorelevant.com to download the first chapter of the book and other valuable excerpts. And also, don't forget to sign up for more episodes uh, in this video series and also in the podcast series. And uh, if you like this one, and uh, I especially did, uh, please rate it with five stars. Michael, thank you. And thank you to everyone on the, uh, on the line. Thank you, Guy. Thank you.